Welcome to the Infill Podcast, where we interview the most interesting members of the 3D printing and maker communities live and with audience participation. And now, here is your host, Jonathan Levy. Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Infill Podcast, the show where you never know if the technology is going to participate on any level. It's very exciting. My guest today is also very, very exciting. You know him from his wonderful YouTube channel where he's always repairing stuff and fixing stuff and creating projects and generally making us all jealous that we don't have more workshop space. His name is Morley Kurt. He's in the process of now developing a really exciting TV show. Morley, welcome. Hey, thank you for having me. Thanks for being here, man. I'm super excited to get to know your story. Um, as we were wrapping, you know, before we went live, I, I mentioned to you that I, I always, I see people's content and I think as YouTube content creators, the algorithm doesn't reward us for like, Hey, here's just a concise place where I can tell my story in my bio and how I got into 3d printing. So I would love to hear your story in your bio and how you got into 3d printing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, uh, like, I think many people in the maker community, I always liked, messing around with building stuff as a kid, played a lot with Legos, built forts in the woods. I grew up in New Hampshire in the States, so there was lots of woods all around. And a lot of my summers we enjoyed like, yeah, building forts, building skateboard ramps, all that sort of stuff. And then uh, I decided to go study civil engineering in university. That's what Mm -hmm. brought me up to Canada because as a preteen, I thought I wanted to be an architect. Then I got really good at math and science and I learned that people value that. And I was like, ooh, it feels good to be good at things that people value. Right. Um, so I sort of put like STEM up on this pedestal and yeah. started uh, studying civil engineering in Montreal. And quickly I realized that, uh, well, realized in retrospect, I don't know if I realized it in the moment that uh, civil engineering was not exactly what I thought it was. Um, it's a great career, you know, it's very interesting. But while I was in university, I started missing kind of the easy access to my dad's basement, essentially, being able to like yep. go downstairs and build a chair out of scrap wood or something like they were, I was never building good stuff as a kid. I just really enjoyed the process. Like some of my strongest, um, childhood memories of time just slipping away was when I was building things. And, uh, I think because I was studying engineering, I sort of felt empowered to build stuff again because I was sort of with civil engineering. It's a lot of like basic physics. It's a lot of like, why does this thing stand up, especially in your like first year courses. So I really wanted to like, start making some stuff because I was doing all classroom work. We weren't really building things. Um, So I started borrowing some tools. Um, I had a first project idea to build this little like nightstand that slotted onto my headboard because I didn't have room in my bedroom for an actual nightstand. (laughs) And I loved it. And I, I was living in an apartment with four other people in Montreal. And I pretty much just started woodworking out of my bedroom. And very quickly, it like became my main hobby. All of my friends were like, you know, in joining the student union or, uh, you know, other organizations. And I was woodworking in my bedroom in my apartment. My roommates were very, very accommodating. Uh, wow. They did not complain much, which I really appreciated. I tried to be respectful. Uh, always kept it to like normal working hours. And I had a balcony, which was convenient. And yeah, and then it, while I was there, I started, a, I actually started a blog first because I thought I had all these like interesting ideas to share. And then I realized that they weren't that interesting and that making videos was uh, a lot more fun. I had started getting into like maker YouTube videos, um, mostly as a viewer. And as I was like getting into building myself, you know, looking up tutorials. So 
people like Ben Ueda from Homemade Modern were a huge inspiration because uh, he was building in the floor of his loft in Boston. So I, it was very applicable to my situation. You know, I didn't have a workshop. I had the floor of my bedroom. And then I discovered uh, Bob Claggett from I Like to Make Stuff and Jimmy DeResta. Yeah. And I started listening to Love Making Bob. It. And uh, yeah, I just really fell down the rabbit hole and I wanted to participate in the community. So I started making my own videos uh, still while in university and then graduated, went off to work a civil engineering office job, quit after three months because I felt like I was in the absolute wrong place. Mm. And then about three months later, a global pandemic hit. Um, And then I didn't really know at that point that my YouTube channel was like so important to me, but I was getting, all I really knew at that point was I wanted to do something like more creative and more hands-on. So Toronto is a big, at this point I'm living in Toronto. Um, and Toronto is a big movie town, a lot of movies filmed here. And so there's a whole film industry. So I started working at a scenery shop, building scenery for, uh, TV and commercials and events and things, which was good. I got some good, like woodworking carpentry experience, but, uh, I didn't, you know, you do the thing where you look at what your bosses are doing and, uh, do I want to be there in 10 years? Answer was no. So as that work slowed down, I sort of ramped up working on my YouTube channel and I was making money by riding my bike around Toronto, delivering food for like Uber Eats and other bike courier services. So I'd, you know, hustle on my channel all day. And then at nights I'd make a bit of money by delivering food on my bike. And uh, yeah, throughout this whole experience, I slowly realized that like, I really like making videos. I'm pretty good at it. And I don't think I really allowed myself for a while to like dream of making it a career because I knew how difficult it was. But slowly as I put more and more time in it, I was like, maybe maybe there's something here. most people Eventually, I think, I, like, think from the outside looking in think that it's so easy. Like, oh, it's amazing. You just play with cool or, you know, travel bloggers. You just travel all day or like, oh, you just play with the latest, greatest 3D printers all day. And it's like, no, it's, it's yeah. a lot of work. So it's interesting that you knew how, how much work it is from the outside looking in. Yeah. And like, I had listened to a lot of behind the scenes stuff. I, I love all that. Even to this day, I love hearing like, like behind the business, you know, what's, what's really happening behind the scenes of like the entertainment industry, the content creator industry. And so I had a bit of data about like the difficulty of it. And um, so eventually I was like, well, YouTube, difficult career. Maybe I want to like be a teacher. And um, that seems like a career that I would like. I like teaching people on my YouTube channel. I was a TA in university. And uh, I went and worked for a STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math, a STEM summer camp and after school program. And after nine months of doing that, I was like, I don't know. I don't think I do want to be a teacher because teaching is this like huge career in and of itself. I think before I got into it, I was like, oh, like teaching would be cool. And then I would have summers and, you know, the weekends to work on my own stuff. But I don't know. I was, I started having this feeling because at this point I'm like 25, 24, 25. Like this is really the time in my life to go for it. And I feel like by that point, throughout all this, I was still making videos and I had started 3D printing as well at this point. So to answer your question about the start of 3D printing, that was because the very beginning of COVID, um, I had a bunch of like stimulus money and I was like, oh, I think 3D printing would be really cool. Let me just buy a Prusa. So I did that and that like blew, blew things wide open. So that was a good decision. <laughs> it's funny too, because the, the, my initial reaction was like, huh, shows how, you know, government uh, stimulus money, like, you know, it's controversial. I, I don't know how I feel about it. I didn't get a stimulus check. 
I don't know how I feel about it. And then I was like, wait a minute, you started like a, a big business around that. <laughs> it definitely that stimulated me. Printer. So you def it definitely stimulated the economy, created a new career for you. I'm sure yeah. now with the TV show, think about like how many jobs you're going to create. It's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't thought about it like that before. Um, so I was like, okay, teaching isn't it. I really got to go for this YouTube thing. And I told my boss, who is very understanding because he's an entrepreneur in and of himself. And so I went down to one day a week um, at this after school program. Yep. Basically, it's a makerspace. They have 3D printers and laser cutters. I was teaching a woodworking class there. In the summer, kids come every day and you know they spend like a camp schedule there. And then cool. in the uh, school year, they come after school and they learn about robotics and 3D printing and stuff. Um, and yeah, went down to one day a week with the plan that in like four months I would be gone. And luckily as I was doing that, because now I had so much more time, like 32 hours more a week is a wild amount of time when you're after you're working a full-time job. So I was making like two YouTube videos a week. Once I went down to one, uh, work day a week and I was learning so much in the process. And then eventually I had a video go a little viral, which was, um, I bought this vintage punch clock and I fixed it with 3D printing. And the title of the video was they wanted $100. I 3D printed it for nine cents. They pretty much like yep. figured out what was wrong. Couldn't buy the replacement. Well, I could buy the replacement part. It'd be very expensive because they uh, don't make it anymore. And I figured out how to 3D print the part that was missing myself. And it was a really fun video and it was an entirely different like titling and um, sort of marketing of the video than I had ever done before. And it paid off immensely. So that gave me a ton of confidence of like, oh, okay, it's working. And when I went down to one day a week at this job, my contingency plan was always like, I've, I've never had a problem like making money when I needed to. I could right. get a job bartending. I can go back to Uber Eats. I'll make money. But like, this is, uh, I got to spend the time on this. But luckily, I never had to really enact that contingency plan because uh, that gave me enough momentum that like, YouTube started paying me at that point, like a living wage. And then it wow. slowly has grown into a career, which is what I would call it now. So now it's, uh, it's like a year and a half later after that video popped off and yeah, have not established any sort of normal yet. It's just been constant change. <laughs> That's really cool. I'm also one of my big takeaways from your story is I can feel better about my woodworking skills and my uh, CAD skills because you you have a lot of experience in those things as shows in your channel. Um, I'll ask you a kind of sensitive question, but I'll ask it in a very uh, broad way, which is engineers make a good living. Have you been able to uh, exceed or meet that with content creation? Or is it a, Hey, I'd rather make less money, but I love this more for you. That's a great question. Um, I'm making more now than I did as a entry level project coordinator. Um, and I'm, I'm making like a good deal more than that. So I'm happy with what I'm making right now. And, you know, people talk about it, like there's really no ceiling in content creation. Like as your channel is growing, um, it's incredibly exciting. So I see like no reason to stop doing this. Like totally. the future is bright. <laughs> yeah. For me, it's the questions more about maybe I'm projecting a little bit because I definitely left from something that I loved less, but paid way more, but I just, I love doing this and you know, like how much is two or three times more money going to be worth if I'm miserable going to work every single day, you know? Um, mm -hmm. and it sounds like you were definitely not happy as a civil engineer. So I asked, yeah. um, 
tell me about 3D printers, right? Because as you said, you and I both kind of like got our start on Prusas. Um, how many printers do you have now? Because I know you're very much at the intersection between woodworking and 3D printing. So you're not kind of mm -hmm. aggregating a ton of printers, but what printers do you have now? What printers do you love now? How has that changed over the years? I have uh, three right now and one that I use. So I have the Prusa that I uh, was the first printer that I bought and has come on multiple 3D printed repair adventures with me, some of which yep. were mobile. Um, and then uh, I also got a, I think it's the Elegoo Mars resin printer, which okay. I've really only used a handful of times. And then I have the Bamboo Lab X1 Carbon, which ever since I started using it, I like not touched the Prusa because it's so, it makes printing like so easy and fun. Um, yeah. the simple feature of just like being able to print straight from your computer is great in and of itself, but then obviously also it's the speed, um, right. and like the integrated multi-material system, which I don't really use for multicolor prints, but just being able to like have four filaments ready to go. Yeah. Um, so I, I've now built, this is my third Voron here. That's just off camera, which I'll have a video coming out very shortly about. Let's see if I can get it to go. Yeah. And I love my Vorons. But I've become, so I have now three carbon machines, which Bamboo was very generous in sending me. So I have them everywhere I need to be, like MasterCard, right? <laughs> um, but you get really spoiled with the Bamboo of like, God, I forgot what it's like to like snip the filament at an angle and then have to feed it through the thing and the sensor and sometimes it gets stuck. And so I'm actually in the process, speaking of, you know, not using multicolor, but I'm building this monstrosity of a thing oh wow like i just want to load up my nine favorite filaments and just hit a button and you know the printer can load itself mm -hmm. we'll see we'll see how that goes um but yeah i've definitely watched a lot of your videos and been like god you could have done two times as many repairs if the printers were just faster and now they are yeah and even having uh multiple printers that's been a big takeaway from the 3d printed repairs uh so the last one i did i did with a uh bamboo x1 carbon and it was great it was fast but the moment that someone comes with like an hour and a half print you're kind of stuck the right. real key i think is being able to print in parallel so even right. having two slower printers if you're going to run like a repair True. cafe i think that's a, a great way to do it absolutely now you had mentioned uh that there's kind of no normal yet for you uh, with YouTube and content creation. So tell me what, what does that mean exactly? Does that mean that your week could look different from week to week or that you never know what projects you're going to be on? Yeah, uh, all of it. So I guess I'll just kind of like run through the last year. So, um, that video popped off the, uh, they wanted a hundred dollars. I 3d printed it for nine cents in April. And then that gave my channel a lot of momentum. So I've always enjoyed like making lots of different kinds of videos. And my dream is that my channel will eventually just be like people come for me which i think most youtube most youtubers you know want to strive for you don't want to be really pigeonholed by your content you want people to come for you um right. and i i've always found that i enjoy videos that are spur of the moment ideas the most um i don't have a lot of ideas like backlogged for the future i am usually trying to be open to things that excite me like right now in the moment that's not true 100 percent of the time but like mm. i can say that in the last year that's sort of been the case um and I think that really paid off in that, like my next videos that really popped off were these series about like turning a free pallet into an expensive piece of furniture. Oh, and I was literally like, I was walking around my neighborhood and I saw a pallet. I'd never done any pallet woodworking before. 
And uh, I was like, this looks kind of nice. I'm going to take it home. And as I was driving it home, I had actually just watched the Ryan Trahan Penny series. Have you seen that? Not all of it, admittedly. It's like 30 videos, right? Yeah, 30 yeah, uh, seen, daily vlogs. I've seen maybe seven or eight of them, but he is and, a genius. Have you seen him be yeah. interviewed as well? Yeah, it's like, like one here. of my favorite, uh, most fun video series I've ever seen. And it was incredibly inspirational. And I think I had that sort of like, money centered video on the mind and he does all the real-time accounting in his videos yes and i i was like "Ooh, what if i yeah. uh tried to turn this into the most expensive piece of furniture i can like this personal challenge and uh i think the, there's a really funny thing with like when you have an idea that you think is really really exciting and you start telling other people no one else really cares no it has to be up to not. you to like know it's a great idea and i was like i think this can like be a massive video and i'm not trying to like put on rose colored glasses and say, I knew it all from the beginning, but I had this feeling. I was like, this is, this I think could do extremely well. Um, and I finished the video, put it out and it like, you know, total paradigm shift once again. Um, uh, coffee, so that's expensive table palette video. The one where you did the, I think it was hexagons. Hexagon yeah. Video. Yeah. Okay. No, no, not that one. This, this was way earlier. This was, I was going to um, say, cause you've done a couple palette videos. Yeah. I've, oh. I've done like three, uh, four, I think. And right. this was the first one in like June or July of last year. Okay. Uh, yeah. In 2022. So like in terms of no normal, now I had like this kind of whole other side of things and I was making other videos like that. And then my partner got a, uh, new job about an hour and a half North of Toronto. So we moved and that, you know, changed everything once again. And it was great for me because I had a much bigger, uh, workspace. So now I have, and when I was living in Toronto, I was sharing the garage with my car. So I'd have to move out my car during the day so I could woodwork in the garage and then put it back in the evening because I didn't have street parking privileges. And uh, oh my God, the, the end of that move was ridiculous because I was also building a lectern for the synagogue that my fiance's parents are members of. Okay. And this project had been like three, like two years in the in the making because it involved a board, it involved a renovation that was extremely delayed. And I was building that out of my garage while I was trying to like make YouTube videos and park my car inside. And it was, it was ridiculous. So then I moved up here where I have now the dedicated garage to woodworking. Right. And I have the space where I'm sitting in now, which is the third bedroom of our apartment that I kind of use as a studio. So that's been really nice. Um, but yeah, things just continue to like change month to month. Then there was the TV show this summer that pretty yeah. much had time for nothing else for a month, right, like a whole video literally nothing. I would wake up at 5 a.m., get home at 10 p.m., and then go to sleep and do it the next day. Right. Um, yeah, so it's been uh, it's been pretty wild and there doesn't seem to be any, any end in sight, but we're trying to make like good decisions because uh, the changes are inevitable. There's lots of big changes coming and you've caught me at kind of a funny time because there's this like massive announcement coming that unfortunately I can't talk about. I can, I don't want to, cause we have a whole like uh, reveal strategy planned. Separate um, from TV show. Yeah, this is an entirely separate thing. Um, Bigger than so, TV show? I mean, who knows what will happen with a TV show. Okay. I don't know how that will all shake out. This is bigger for me personally. Cool. Um, Very cool. Congrats, so, I guess. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I think in about a week it will week, week and a half, it should be all revealed. And I, I know it's super lame to say that, like everyone, no one likes when content creators are like, oh, big things are coming. Um, but, but it, reality, have to, like, it has to I be don't part wanna, of the strategy. And, yeah, and I also, don't want to spoil it. 
I can relate. So I'm the worst secret keeper in the world. It's amazing that people trust me with embargoes, but I think if I sign a contract, I'm pretty good at keeping secrets. But like the smart thing to do would have been like, hey, big things are coming. And then be like, hey, I'm in China and I'm going to do a factory tour here and here and here and here, you know, after the fact, right? Like revealing. But me, I, I have none of the discipline that you seem to have. I'm like, hey, guys, I'm going to China. Where should I go? You know? Um, yeah, so I, I think. But I get it. I think uh, patience as a concept has been like one of the biggest things I've been trying to work on this whole year. Because I think it's very, when you're making content and you're on the internet a lot, it's easy to become really impatient because you get this big rush of dopamine when you put out a video. And especially if that video starts to do well. So you want to do it like more and more and more. Right. Um, but I've found that for the most part, the more thought and effort I put into a piece of content, the more fulfilling it is and the better it seems to do. Um, and there doesn't really seem to be much of like a, a free lunch when it comes to like, I, I think I can be efficient and you, I can focus on the right things, but right. to just, I, sometimes I can tell like I'm just kind of craving that satisfaction of putting something out more so than like I have a really good idea that I want to execute on. Yeah. Um, and like just trying to stay patient with this, this reveal that's coming that like I know it's going to be good and I know that it'll do the best if I just kind of wait and focus on the things that I can control right now. Absolutely. Um, I wanted to ask you, I think it's an interesting question to ask because I think uh, as content creators, we all know what the algorithm wants more of from us. And it, there's this constant battle, right? To like, do I fulfill that or do I slowly work on expanding the the kind of bubble that it's put me in? So I want to ask, what is the, I think I know for your channel because I'm, I'm a subscriber and I've I've watched you for a long time, but what is the bubble that the algorithm is trying to put you in and what is it that you want to work on and are they the same yeah it's the it's the palette videos it's the trash to treasure just videos. palette People, videos um it's i don't have a ton of data like i've only really made i would say eight of these trash to treasure videos and i think okay. four of them were were using palettes the palette ones did very very well because you know everyone can get palettes it's very relatable um, people are very interested in it as a topic. They know about it. And then if you start using maybe other woods or other sources of materials that aren't as well known, you don't have that same like instant recognition factor. Right. But um, that whole trash to treasure concept, I love. It's really, really fun. It's very satisfying. I, it's actually kind of funny that um, I'm talking to you right now on like a 3D printing podcast. I've done very little 3D printing recently. Right. Um, and there's a, there's a few reasons for that. And one of them is like, I've just really enjoyed woodworking as of late. I love like the hands-on nature of it. It's like, yes. it's very relaxing for me. It's very satisfying. Um, and so there, the, the algorithm wants me to do more of that. Like it's pretty easy to tell for me and I would, the downsides for me is a big part of these videos is actually selling the piece for me. I love going like start to finish. Yeah. I'm only calling it a $2,000 table if it sells for $2,000. Sure. And uh, I want to include that in the video. And it, and I think it makes the videos more exciting and more informative and adds more stakes, but it makes a large part of the video outside of my control, which right. is frustrating when like you really want to put something out and you're like, no one's bought it yet. I just got to wait or remarket this. I that in your, your uh, standing desk video. Yeah, it's, um, I think it's, looking back, it's a good experience because like you grow a lot through doing it, you learn a lot. 
But in the moment, like I said, that impatience again is trying to come through and just making me want to put out the video. Yeah. Um, so actually, probably right after I finish recording this, a truck is going to come by to pick up a shipping crate for this table that I just built. And for a, the original um, plan for that was like, I, I just want to sell it locally because uh, it's such a pain to ship, especially yeah. internationally. And um, I would prefer to have an on-camera reaction from the buyer. I want to like Actually. film their reaction and it would add so much meat to the video. But I was having trouble selling it um, locally. So I was like, you know what? Let's just do it. Let's sell it internationally. Built a shipping crate, got a lot of great advice from someone, paid for a customs broker. Um, and I think I did everything right. It's kind of hard to know at this stage. Wow. But uh seems like I crossed my T's and dotted all my I's. So yeah, the not having control over all aspects of it makes me not want to do it like solely. Um, yeah. In terms of what videos I want to make like all the time, I don't really know if I have a good answer for that. My answer is kind of just like what I'm excited about in the moment. Um, I, I do want to integrate my fiance Eden more into my videos. We've made a few videos together and she is so, in my opinion, she's hilarious on camera. I agree. And uh, I actually I, emailed you out of the blue and I was like, hey, I think you I think you did really well in choosing a future wife. Yeah, yeah, I agree. <laughs> um, so I, I plan to have a lot more of her in my videos. And um, I mean, I honestly, I want to make videos that do well. Like I, for sure. one, just because content creation is a career for me and I get satisfaction out of that as well. So like it's hard to fully separate the videos that I want to make from what the algorithm likes because right. I feel like I'm always sort of searching for that anyway. I, I think there's always a way to like tell a story in an interesting way. I don't usually find myself like really wanting to make a project that will perform really poorly. I'll kind of just like look over those projects because at the end of the day, it's the making videos that I really enjoy. I love making stuff. I love 3D printing, but the video creation aspect and like storytelling through video is like really where I feel my jam is. Yeah. And I have to say you, I suspect that you're influenced by Casey Neistat or someone who is influenced by Casey Neistat like a Ryan Trahan because you're a really good storyteller. Um, you don't do project videos. You do stories that have projects in them, I think. I don't know if you identify with that, but you definitely tell stories. Um, and I think that's what's so engaging about, I mean, from the title, right? Like that title could have been, you know, I printed something that would have cost me a hundred dollars, but it's a story. It's they wanted and I printed it. Um, mm -hmm. so I hope you take that as a compliment. I, I consider it to be one. Uh, yeah, I, I will wanna, always yeah. take being compared to Casey Neistat as a compliment. The funny <laughs> thing is, uh, I actually barely watched any of his videos until very recently. I think what you said was pretty spot on being influenced by people who are influenced by uh, Casey Neistat. So like, another YouTuber, uh, Jacko, whatever. He yep. is very influenced by Casey Neistat and he was a big influence for me. And um, yeah, Ryan Trahan as well. And then I've like started watching more and more Casey Neistat videos and yeah. definitely get some inspiration there. Yeah, I'm guilty of also like uh, getting it secondhand. Casey was before my time on YouTube, I think. Um, but, you know, there are very few of the kind of greats who are not in some way uh, influenced by him today. Um, you taught woodworking. So I'm going to ask you a question that I'm not sure can be answered just, you know, not in a workshop on a podcast, but uh, I think a lot of us are envious of how comfortable you are with woodworking and, and the quality of the projects 
So I wonder if you could give some tips for those of us who are in 3D printing who would like to level up their woodworking, uh, whether it's, hey, these are the tool, these few simple tools, if you use this instead of this, you're gonna have better quality or places that you learned, uh, resources, YouTube channels that you watch. Um, I would love to hear how we can kind of level up our woodworking. I do, unfortunately, at the 30 minute mark, have to thank PCBWay really quickly. So for those of you who do want to level up your projects, if it's not with woodworking, make sure to check out today's I always mute the audio. You know them, you love them. PCB Way is your one-stop shop, not just for PCBs, guys, but also for industrial 3D printing, for sheet metal manufacturing, for injection molding. They can even print peak for you, I learned today, which is really, really awesome. They can machine titanium for you. Really anything you need, uh, except woodworking, they will do for you, and they have incredibly, incredibly good service and reasonable prices. So make sure to check them out with the link in the description. And thanks to PCBUA, as always, for supporting the show. All right. I gave you some time yes. to ruminate on the, uh, on the question. <laughs> yeah. So I think a lot of people who are starting with woodworking, myself included, uh, you default to cheap wood. So in North America, a lot of times that's pine or other SPF woods that you would find at a hardware store. And I do think it's very much worth it to pay for nice wood because it will make you enjoy the hobby more because that wood is a joy to work with. It machines easier. It doesn't split as much. You'll be able to like do cool chisel joinery techniques that are just like really annoying to do with pine. So spending money on good wood is one. That's and by a, a similar thing. tool, by a similar token, like trying to use sharp tools. Now you don't have to use expensive tools. Um, and a great way to avoid using expensive tools when you start is to take a class. Um, I think a lot of people are sort of resistant with that because I think a lot of us are like, you want to try to teach stuff yourself. But if you go to a class with a good teacher and you have a good experience, like that has the opportunity to really light a fire for you and yeah. inspire you in a way that like watching videos won't. And maybe it will show you that woodworking isn't your thing. If you thought it was, and then great, you didn't have sure. to spend $500 on tools. Um, I think one thing that personally got me into woodworking was having a project. And that's something I usually tell people. So like have a project in mind before you start building or buying tools. So I wanted to build a loft bed for my apartment because I wanted more space to work on projects. So I found a plan to make a loft bed out of two by fours and two by sixes. And uh, I borrowed some tools and bought some used ones on Facebook marketplace and uh, started doing that. So yeah, uh, tools before project, or sorry, project before tools is uh, another good one. Those are great tips. None of which I, I expected to see coming, but I think they're very, very good tips. Um, how about same question for CAD? Because I think as a civil engineer, as you said, it's a lot more physics than it is sitting down in CAD. Do you consider yourself mostly self-taught all the amazing stuff that you do in fusion to on the spot design stuff? Or did you get a fair amount of that in academia? So I, I actually did learn a fair amount of CAD while in university. Um, we used AutoCAD, okay. which is not fusion 360 because it's right. not parametric so you draw a line you draw a box it doesn't know what that line or box is it just sees it right. as lines on a page there's no like relationships between there's no smart features of it 
Sure. Um, so I learned that and that's kind of like the industry standard for drawing plans. And I actually taught that a bit as a teaching assistant. And when you teach something, you understand it a fair amount. So when I left university, I, I did have a lot of experience in CAD already. And then when I bought my 3D printer, my plan was like, I want to be ready to go by the time this arrives. So I took an online course free on YouTube, learn Fusion, 3, learn Fusion 360 in 30 days for complete beginners by product design online. The guy's name is Kevin Kennedy, who runs that channel. And um, yeah, I did all 30 videos. And at the end of it, I felt pretty confident to like just start doing stuff myself. So again, using a class is like really, really helpful. Yeah, yeah. That's a big, um, it's it's funny that you're, you're telling me that because, you know, I, I used to teach about online courses because I made a lot of online courses and I would coach people and lecture other entrepreneurs about online courses and, and tell people like, you know, anyone can learn. This was before I was on YouTube. So it was like more of a criticism that I would say anyone can learn anything, including everything that you know for free on YouTube. The only reason people pay for online education or any class for that matter is for curation, right? It's for curation, handholding, and, and being told this is the right order in which to learn these things. And then sometimes if it's not an online course, it's like accountability and things like that. It's funny. You just reminded me of like, hey, I used to teach people that, right? Like if you really want to <laughs> learn something in a in a maybe not accountable way, but in like a structured way, because I know a lot about CAD, but it's like this from here and this from there and that from here, and it doesn't all connect together. So the idea of like, just take a class, uh, especially coming from someone who, you know, creates content on YouTube, like YouTube is not the best place. YouTube may be the best place to learn odds and ends. I don't think it's the most efficient way to achieve mastery. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and I, I just want to mention uh, the class I did was free on YouTube. I don't know if that right, uh, came through. Right, but that's true. Yeah. That's true. But it was not, it was a structured class. It was a structured class and not content like five things that, you know, it wasn't algorithmic yeah. feeding stuff. And I feel like that stuff has become really rare on YouTube. Uh, Michael Laws at Teaching Tech still does these series of like, you just know that like, the video in the series on how to export technical drawings from your cat, that video is going to bomb. So like, it really is, you have to be kind of an altruist to be like, I'm going to do this video series. Yeah. How are the, the videos are going to bomb? The The algorithm is going to penalize me for weeks after that video, you know? So I feel like uh, that kind of structured content has become so rare on YouTube. Yeah, the superheroes of the internet are the people making the one-minute Premiere Pro tutorials on how to do a very specific thing. <laughs> if people could do that for every software, that would be great. And honestly, I like I, I'm not in that world. Maybe those videos do pretty well because I search for it all the time, like how to do a J-cut in Premiere Pro. And there's the one-minute video, boom. I'm sure everyone who's searching for it is watching the same video. Yeah, I wonder how that works out in terms of AdSense. I mean, the, the, big, the big thing, right, is like on those videos there's not going to be any sponsored placement. And I know for me, maybe for you as well, like AdSense barely covers my rent in the studio, right? Like AdSense covers my rent. It doesn't even cover one employee. Um, mm -hmm. So it's all about sponsorships, which is unfortunate, but you try to choose the sponsors that are not going to impact your content in a negative way. And if anything, ideally, you're trying to find sponsors that are going to enhance your content like you did, I thought, an amazing collaboration with a manufacturer of a solar generator. Just like that video mm. was just so much better for having been sponsored by a solar generator company because you were in a park instead of a cafe and it was more fun. And there was the whole element of like, well, how much power does my 3D printer use? And can I 3D mm -hmm. print indefinitely on solar energy? So 
you know, I, I want our audiences to know, like, that's the kind of collaborations and integrations that you go for. Sometimes they're not there, but yeah. Yeah. Thank you. That was a fun one. Yeah, that was really, really cool. What are you really excited about right now besides the TV show in 3D printing itself? You mentioned you don't do a lot of multicolor 3D printing. So what what has renewed your interest in 3D printing? Because it is a 3D printing podcast. I know you're very yeah. excited about woodworking. But like, what has renewed your interest or, or what is keeping you engaged in it? Or have you kind of lost a lot of interest in 3D printing? I don't think I've lost interest. I think it's before I, I got heavy into woodworking in the last year, I was doing a lot of like really small 3D printing projects that were like pretty satisfying and, you know, household fixes and things. And I think I've maxed that out a little bit, at least in my own brain space. And what I'm excited about is what's originally got me into 3D printing, was, which is the prospect of a vet invention in rapid yep. prototyping. So I have a one product idea that I'm pretty excited about that I don't think would be 3D printed as a finished product, but I could definitely um, do some really good prototypes with 3D printing. Um, that process takes a lot of time and I'm that is right. something I'm short on right now. So, you know, and I would love to do more of that in like the next year. Um, and yeah, just more, more solutions to like enhance quality of life um, sort of related to that big reveal, which is coming soon. Okay. Um, I think there will be some 3D printing integrated into that as well. Yeah, I've always been like really into functional 3D printing. And um, I think it's like, if you want to print functional things, you need to be in that mindset. So I used to keep a list of like annoyances that come up with me throughout yeah. a day. So yeah. I could try to think of inventions for them. And I kind of fell out of that as I've changed focus. But I think, you know, you have to, you have to make those ideas come. They won't just naturally come to you. Right. Um, I used to yeah. always tell people, cause I've, I've actually never had a real job. So I've been an entrepreneur for as long as I've been able to sit at a desk practically. And, uh, people always ask me like, well, how do you become an entrepreneur? And I used to just say, you just get really good at, I guess, observing and then sticking with problems, right? Like most people will see whatever it may be and just be like, oh, that sucks. Like that's how it is. But an entrepreneur will be like, why is nobody fixed this? So I think you have to have a certain level of like discontent with the world around you to be like, yeah. well, that sucks. And why hasn't anyone fixed that? And I can do that better. And there, there's a little bit of hubris in there as well. Mm -hmm. um, of just like, but you know, I, I used to tell people like, just get really, really good at observing problems. Like if you can make a list of 10 problems every single day, even if they're not your problems, ideally they would be. Um, but just get really, really good at observing like, stupid little problems that can become wonderful ideas. Mm -hmm. Totally. When I, uh, I kind of started getting into entrepreneurship again, while I was in university and getting into woodworking and, uh, one problem I became fixated on, which is very common in North America because our public transportation is really bad for the most part. Right. And that, that was taking the bus from Montreal to Boston, which is the route that I would take to get home. And there was one company that operated it and it was horrible. It was always late. It was always held up at the border. And I would just dream about like, I want to start a competing company that like offers really, really good service because yeah. there's no one else doing it. And maybe yeah. it's like a bad business. Maybe that's why no one else is doing it. But yeah, it was fun to get like fixated on that and 
just uh <laughs> just I love I love business fantasy like um you know like fantasy football but like fantasy business it's like the things that yeah. you'll never like I'll I'll never own a football team but I'll also never like start most of the businesses that I fantasize the other day my wife looked at me and she's like why would anyone need you to do that and I was like oh I just think someone should do it so I had this idea where <laughs> I was like you know Israel where we live 70% non-arable land right just like kilometers and kilometers and kilometers of unused desert and it's in the middle between europe asia and africa perfect logistics center right on the red sea there's boat access plane access super mm. developed technological sector for like automated warehouses no one wants to live there but like if you wanted to build a f massive fulfillment center and i was like why doesn't anyone do that <laughs> i was like okay that's interesting I, i'm not gonna do it but someone should do it <laughs> it would be awesome it would be so cool imagine you'd have like two-day shipping everywhere i mean like all mm -hmm. the middle east all of northern africa all of southern europe two days away cheap land that's my yeah idea. if it's a good enough idea someone will probably do it eventually <laughs> plentiful solar energy plentiful um Morley, we had some great questions from the peanut gallery here. Uh, yeah. Gil Shachar, which is one of ours here in Israel, asked, uh, what is the last thing that you 3D printed? Oh, it was, uh, just give me one moment. I'm gonna go grab mm -hmm. it. All right, so I have, uh, do you know the DJI mic? Yep. So I have a DJI mic, and for those who don't know, it's a wireless microphone system, and it comes in like this wireless charging case. Yeah. And it comes with a hot shoe mount for your yep. camera. And mine snapped because it's a yep. super tight fit, and it's like this very weird joint. So a while ago, I resin printed like a magnetic quick release for it. Yep, I but saw that. But the, the resin printed one was like, fine it was just a little brittle and eventually that one broke as well right so uh i recently printed one just using uh an fdm printer like the bamboo and it came out super well and so that was exciting because i think it made me realize how good resolution you can print with a what is it like a 0.4 millimeter nozzle on a yeah. on a uh fdm printer because i think the reason i printed this in resin was because i thought that fdm couldn't handle it so that was exciting and it kind of made me excited to start doing more of those little inventions that's really cool. Good question for uh, Gil, I think was his name. Uh, Viv3D wants to know, are we going to see a collaboration with JBV Creative soon? That'd be super fun. Um, Jay lives in Toronto, which is like an hour and 30 minutes from me. We met up in Toronto. We, we talk regularly. Um, we haven't talked specifically about a collab um but that would be cool he's like he's extremely creative and i know that he has like really good ideas on his own so it, it would be an interesting i don't know what we would do because i feel like he's he has like these ideas that he gets obsessed with and he works on them for months to make these very complicated kinetic uh sculptures okay so maybe we'll, we'll see you can now say that people have asked um, okay all right, let's see what else we have. And guys, keep submitting these questions. Uh, they're very good ones. Uh, is a Dremel enough for small-scale woodworking? DJ is pro, who's a very uh, a frequent frequent attendee, wants to know. I mean, it depends what you define as woodworking. You could do a lot of carving with a Dremel. Uh, you can make spoons. You can make little figurines. And then they also have all those attachments where you can like make it into a drill press. 
I know there are those mini table saws, and I feel like you could hook a Dremel into one of those. Mm. I was at a Maker Central in the UK a few months ago, and they had this booth of like tiny woodworking equipment. I think usually for model making, and it was it looked so cool. Like there are these table saws that are maybe like twenty centimeters by twenty centimeters. And I'm not really into model making, but part of me wanted to like just buy all those and see what I could, what large woodworking pieces I could make with it extremely small tools. That's cool. I just got my first table saw ever. So I'm now, uh, you know, each generation tries to outdo the one before them. And my dad had jigsaws, but he never had a circular saw, never had a table saw. He had like drills and stuff, but never had impact drivers. So I'm like slowly expanding. My kids will have like, I don't know, lathes and CNCs, and but I'm super excited about it because I can build stuff that I was not able to with my dad in the garage. Like you can do cool stuff with a table saw. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's exciting. Really, really exciting. Totally. What's your favorite type of filament? Amira wants to know. Um, I use PETG a lot or PETG, depending on how you say it, because it's easy to print and strong. Awesome. Isaac wants to know, uh, what your childhood was like in terms of your parents pushing you towards being a maker or being creative. You mentioned uh, in your dad's basement, were your parents makers? Um, I don't know if they were like makers in the, in the modern sense. My dad had like the workshop of a homeowner. So it was a okay. lot of, he had like a circular saw, an extremely messy workbench that I would have to like organize to, to do stuff with. Um, so I don't think it was like, they're making that inspired me my mom is an interior designer so okay she like the design parts of it was definitely a big inspiration from her but my dad was just like a generally handy guy um in terms of my general childhood though like my parents were fantastic they were i think they struck this great balance of really just trying to support all the decisions and dreams that i wanted to do every once in a while when it was like you know they would weigh in when i was like i want to be a professional musician they're like that's really cool like how do you think you'll make money? <laughs> yeah, that's I th- feel like that was a conversation once, but they never, uh, they never like quashed any dreams. They were always supportive of what I wanted to do. Um, when I quit that civil engineering job, there was a lot of like conversations with my mom and she wasn't pushing me not to do it. She was just voicing that like it was a difficult thing for her to hear because she grew up in a much less secure household than I grew yeah. up in. Yep. which, you know, trickles down. Like she's, she projects those sort of insecurities onto me. And, and, you know, it's for good reason. I mean, it was a very risky thing that I did. Totally. <laughs> but This uh, also might be why she's your number one Patreon supporter. She just wants to make sure that you're paying paying the bills, you know? Yeah, yeah, uh, exactly. Like, I mean, every time we talk on the phone, she's like, and you're making enough money? And I'm like, yeah, mom, yeah. everything's good. <laughs> um, so yeah, parents were great, very supportive. And I'm very lucky to have them. That's awesome and really, really cool that uh, your parents are, are both, you know, uh, creatively savvy, I guess is how I would summarize. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also was really lucky. My mom is a seamstress, not by profession, but like, I mean, there's nothing my mom can't make, like crochet, knitting, embroidery, sewing, literally like nothing. Anything textile my mom can make, it's crazy. And my dad in his heyday was like, woodworking electronic all the like hard stuff my mom would do all the soft stuff i mean physically (laughs) it's like between the two of them if they if they collaborated they could just build anything right so that was really really cool to see 
Um, That's awesome. Ezra wants to know, I know you can't give us too much information, but what information, what more information can you give us regarding this TV show that's coming up? Yeah. Um, it, you know, honestly, it's my first time in this industry. So I don't really know what is customary that people, um, that people reveal ahead of the, uh, ahead of time. I signed a yeah. contract that basically said I would say nothing about it, but I also released this video uh, a couple weeks ago that was like a day in my life filming a tv show and i ran that by the producers who ran it by the network who gave it the okay so uh -huh. everything i mentioned in that video is pretty much okay so I'll, I'll sort of paraphrase the things that i said in that so it is a kids tv show it involves making stuff and building stuff um i am the host and i think it i think it has like a lot of potential because there's a lot of unscripted moments there's a lot of scripted moments as well but there's a lot of moments where I'm like troubleshooting things with the kids and we're having real conversations, trying to construct things together. One really cool part about the show is that um, there are no tools. It's all supposed to be things that a kid could make just with things they find around their house, yeah. which I think is a really interesting angle. Um, so it's it tries to be very, very accessible. That's very and, cool. Um, That's very yeah, cool. There's, Although I've tried to get my kids exposed to tools. I mean, the other day I had my eight month old playing with an allen key trying to get it into the screws but i also know from my wife's family like it's very possible that kids have zero access to tools there are households i can't imagine why but there are households that don't have screwdrivers in them you know yeah um it, uh, another funny thing is like i haven't really seen any uh footage of myself on camera because while we were oh, wow. it was a pretty small team where we were filming so i was in front of the camera there was three camera people, the director who had his monitor, and then the producer and the showrunner had their little um, setup where they would see things and give notes. But yeah. because we never really played things back, at least when I was on screen, sometimes we would play back like slow-mo clips to see if we caught the right action. I almost never saw what what it looked like when I was on camera. So I'm very curious to see what what that will be like. Um, I, I think, think it will feel extremely different from my YouTube videos. I was going to say, maybe similar in some parts. Extremely different because they're shooting with different lenses than you're used to in terms of like the the depths, right? Like we're shooting on not professional video. I mean, semi-professional, yeah. like and there's consumer. there's so much focus on like continuity things that I don't really think about in my own videos, especially because we were shooting out of order. Um, a lot of focus on like, oh, does it make sense if these two angles happen back to back? So I learned a lot about those things. And uh, yeah, I'm curious yeah. how that all comes through. Well, and I think you'll be surprised, right? Because you and I are not professional video editors. I, I have a professional video editor, but like not, you know, working in movies and stuff like that. I think you'll be surprised like how different things come out of editing, right? Even mm -hmm. not even in terms of like cutting things up, but in terms of like, color correction and you know softening light and stuff like that and you'll just be like whoa i remember that day and there was way less light in that room or way more light in that room yeah um but it's amazing one uh yeah one little anecdote i'll share is uh we spent the last two days of filming doing all these science demonstrations so there's an there's a part of each episode where like i we do a cutaway and i talk about the science behind everything through some sort of demonstration yeah and uh on this particular day, I was skateboarding and uh, I, I had to like ollie over this little thing on the ground. And uh, I was gonna bring my own skateboard, but somehow I couldn't find it that morning. I actually think I left it in Montreal when I went there a few weeks ago. And 
but the the set designer had like a really cheap Walmart skateboard that they bought. And I also have these like ridiculous shoes to wear for my characters. So I was like, I'm not a great skateboarder. I'm like a pretty good, okay skateboarder, but not good enough to just like ollie consistently within a completely different setup so it was a little nerve-wracking but in the end we, we got the shot and it was it was a lot of fun that's really cool and I, one of my takeaways that i don't know if you said in the video but you just said it now is that there is already a network so this isn't something that you guys are filming and then shopping it around you already uh like this is a sold deal done deal in terms yeah of like, this is gonna, yeah it's it is greenlit on, on the air that is awesome mm -hmm. that is very cool and that must have been a really interesting process into just how much red tape you get to skip by just publishing directly on youtube it's a different oh one. yeah it's yeah very very different yeah this is that's why i self-published my books because it's just like <laughs> wow you you would have to devote just as much time as creating the content to selling the content negotiating the content it's it's mm -hmm. not easy not easy by any sense of the imagination um Amira wants to know if you've ever considered printing something really extravagant and wild like shoes or food or organs. Like what have you ever considered doing a ridiculous 3D printing project? Yeah, I mean I did one. I 3D printed a pair of hiking sandals Ooh. um which uh <laughs> actually this is funny. Yeah, I want to see those cuz I uh I just bought a pair. They're of actually zeros. in the garbage right now. I'm decluttering okay. and uh I was like Okay, so they are they work but they're not great. And yeah. uh, the rake on I, those is uh, we, we got to have a talk about barefoot shoes, my friend. Yeah, I was trying to copy Chacos, which are okay. a pair of like hiking sandals. And uh, I printed them with 100% infill using TPU and they're so heavy. Each yeah. one took like three days to print. Uh, the only reason I did that was because I was like, oh, shoes seem to be made of a solid material. I should do it out of solid material as well. Never thinking about like density differences. Right. So it, it was, it was quite an adventure. It was very stressful. Um, and those sort of projects I think have a huge, there's a lot of risk in the amount of time and cost that you take. So I think it has to be like a really cool idea for it to come through. So I've had a lot of ridiculous ideas like 3d printing in a canoe, or I have this like general idea of um, 3d printing the same thing every day and then constructing into something large. But um, I haven't got any of ridiculous ideas where I'm like, okay, that's it. I'm going to start working on it because it, there needs to be a really good why. Yeah, I, I get that. I'm working on a project right now for some sponsored content that I think people are going to like a lot, but uh, it, it wouldn't be what I would print. And it's like, um, I won't say too much about it, but it's a big project. Like it's over six days of 3D printing consistently on the bamboos. So mm -hmm. you, you can get a uh idea we're talking like eight or ten kilos of filament um wow and it's like man i'm gonna have to put this whole thing together and like my light at the end of the tunnel is that my kids are gonna freaking love this thing because otherwise <laughs> look i really like functional prints that you know more functional in any case um, Orgy, which is uh, Orgy Isenta, says that he's always thought that we look alike. And I will add an anecdote, which is I used to joke when I was like first growing my hair out. It's like quite long now. When I was first oh, growing nice. it out, I used to joke that it was like uh, Stefan from CNC Kitchen long. And then I evolved <laughs> to Zach Friedman long. And now when I get out of the shower in the morning, my hair like droops down. I'm like, oh, I'm at Morley Kurt stage. 
<laughs> the next stage is uh, BV3D, Brian Vines, who has it like down to his shoulders. I don't know if I'll get there. Oh, nice. It's funny how I'm like evolving through all the different 3D printing content creators. I just moved <laughs> Zach Friedman stage and into my Morley stage. Morley, I want to know, uh, before we wrap up, how can we support you in the audience? How can we uh, help you do more of what you're doing? I think the biggest thing is like watch the videos. Um, if you like woodworking and 3D printing and storytelling and uh, all sorts of stuff, if you like me, watch my videos. Uh, Morley Kurt on YouTube. I would say like day to day, I'm most active on like Instagram stories. Okay. Um, so same thing, just Morley Kurt everywhere. Morley Kurt on Instagram. Um, and I do have a Patreon, you know, if you really want to like get more behind the scenes or support uh, directly. But yeah, just by watching watching the videos is all I ask. That's awesome. I would love to ask because first, it's very impressive that you were able to get just your name everywhere. I've never heard the <laughs> name Morley before. I know Kurt. I know a lot of Kurt and Curtis's living in Israel. Yeah. Where's the name Morley come from? It was my grandfather's name. So uh, okay. I'm I'm honestly not sure who he was named for, but his grandfather immigrated to Canada from somewhere in Eastern Europe, like Austria, you know, Russia sort of area. So I think some people seem to know like old Jewish men named Morley. I'm a young Jewish man. Uh, there was a famous anchor on a show called 60 minutes named morley safer so that's right, like the that's main right. morley that most people know right i forgot about that i so i have heard yeah morley before it's cool. it's very convenient having a unique name and being on the internet for sure oh my gosh yeah let me there are a lot you know it's funny there is a jonathan levy who is also a published author so like jonathan levy book gone read jonathan all that stuff gone Jonathan Levy is Dang. a it's a non-starter, especially living in Israel. Morley, uh, this has been awesome. I want to thank you for your time. I know how busy you are, uh, but I really appreciated the conversation. I think our audience learned a lot. I certainly did. So I hope you'll come back one day soon. Thank you. Yeah, it was great. Thanks for uh, being a great host. All right, my friend. Let's talk soon. All right. Thanks for tuning in to the Infill Podcast. For show notes or links to anything mentioned in today's episode, visit thenextlayer.com. If you enjoyed the episode, please don't forget to leave us a review wherever you're listening or click the like button to let us know. And consider subscribing to The Next Layer on YouTube so you can tune in live and participate in the next conversation. We'll see you on The Next Layer.